0: As I promised you last week, we're going to continue to think about a certain topic. We're just interrupting the study in Romans. You know, remember, we're kind of lodged between Romans 7 and Romans 8 right now. But we're answering some questions about the Christian and sin. What we are in the process of doing is developing a theology of sin and the Christian. I don't get bent out of shape when I talk about theology. I simply mean this. We're looking at the study, the field of study that focuses on God, on the Christian... On sin and how they all relate. What does God teach us about the Christians' relationship to sin? How should we think? How should we respond when we do sin? This is not simply a study for theologians or for theologians. Theologians and seminary professors. This is a study for us. It's absolutely essential. That we as Christians believe right about sin. It really is. It really is critical. If we're going to respond. Now, you guys, I want you to notice that word. Respond. Or react. Think think with me about those two words. Response. Reaction. The reality is, Carlos sins. Freddie sins. We as Christians don't continue in sin. We're said to be dead to sin. We looked at this last week. Scripture does say that. Scripture says in Romans chapter 6, the Christian does not continue in sin. Remember that? Everybody can heartily say, yes, brother, we saw that. It says sin will not have dominion over you. We nailed that down. That is true. That is real. We know that it says we're free from sin. These are realities. But we also looked last week at the reality that even though those are true, we do still sin. And we really laid down this reality that even when the Christian does sin, it is still just as true, just as much a reality, just as important to realize that when Matt Haney sins, I can still look at him and say, brother, sin does not have dominion over you. I can say that. Because it's true. Right. So we are establishing a theology of the Christian and sin because what we think and how we think about sin has a definite impact upon how we respond. How we react when we as Christians do fall into sin. This is, this is very... Important. We need to respond right when we do sin. Now, did you catch that? How I believe, I've been saying this to you guys, how we believe really does affect how we live. You need to really hear what's being said here. When you think, when you believe, When you take something to be true about Christians, about the sin that's in their life, it has everything to do with how you respond. You do. It's not just true about this. It's true about everything in my life. If you guys believed that... You know what happens in an engine on a car? Have you ever seen what happens when you take open flame and put it to gasoline? What happens? Now folks, you have enough gasoline and fire potential in an automobile to burn us all up and blow us all up. But when you jump in an automobile, even though you've got combustion taking place under the hood of that car, you have these explosions, you jump in there trusting that that thing isn't going to explode and blow engine fragments all through your body. If you did believe that, you wouldn't get in there. You see, what we believe really doesn't... We take certain things for granted in our life. But if we perceive things wrongly... You know, if you've ever gotten to a point in your life and it's just like the light went on and you just realize, whoa, I have thought wrong about that all my life. I always thought this certain thing was true and it was never true. And yet... I made decisions and choices in my life based on how I always thought it was. You know, you've all come to a place in your life like that. Because what we believe really does... Now, what? notice. What we really believe. Not what we say we believe. Those are two different things. A whole lot of people will say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And yet they go out and live their life like hell. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me you believe that the Christ, this risen Christ, this reigning Christ, is the Christ that drops some of the holiest men who have ever lived as dead men to the ground. Don't tell me that you believe in that Christ and you're going to have to stand before Him one day and give an account for every single thing you've done in your life. And that very Lamb of God will be the one who treads out your blood in that pit if you end up being thrown there. And that you say you believe in Him and you can run off and go live with your selfish desires and your selfish life, don't tell me you believe in that Christ. You may believe in a Christ of your own imagination, and you may have created a religion of your own imagination, but you don't have this. Not if it's deep down in your heart. You will respond. If you believe that his sin is what the Bible says it is, and Christ is the God the Scripture says He is, if you believe that you are as black as you are as filthy In your depravity, in Adam is what this Bible says, and your eyes are truly open to it. And if you ever are to truly see how valuable and precious Jesus Christ is, you will not just go back off and live in your sin and in your smut and in your filth and in your lifestyle that you were born with. You will not do it. You can say one thing, but your life shows what you truly believe. But what's so critical about this is that we as Christians are constantly responding. We do. We live this way. We're constantly responding to what we believe. Listen, folks. If you really for once caught and grasped the reality... That if you have blind people over to your house, that Jesus Christ is going to reward you on the day of the resurrection of the just. If you really believed it was much better to store up all of your treasure in heaven rather than on this earth. If you really believe it, you would be quickly giving everything away, having all sorts of blind people at your house. The reason that many of you will walk out the door today and that truth that I just said will not affect you more than it does is because you really don't believe it. You really deep down inside believe having nice furniture at home is more important than taking care of the poor. You believe that. Oh boy, there's so much if we really believe and we really grasp. But we're not talking about all those things today. We're talking about sin. How we believe, how we react, how we think, and how we respond when we as Christians sin. Because if we don't think right, we don't respond right. Error in doctrine results in error in life, period. Now, I had you guys open to Romans chapter 12. Why did I have you open there? Well, because in Romans twelve two, Paul deals with... Essentially, this very reality. Notice what it says. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this world. But, so that's what you don't want to be, but you need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now notice, he doesn't say, don't be conformed to this world, but be conformed to heaven. Or be conform He actually he reverts to the mind. To conform to something is to take the shape of it. To be like it. The way to not be like the world, notice, he says is to make changes to your mind. Interesting concept. To renew the mind is to renew the thinking. If you want to stop living like the world, you have to stop thinking like the world. That's what he says here. This is the the basic essence of this truth. If you want to live right, you need to renew your mind with God's Word and think right. So I'm telling you folks, this is vitally practical for us to develop a good, true, Theology of when Christians sin, so that practically I respond right when I do stumble into sin. Because I believe right and think right when I stumble into sin. Now, here we go. When Christians sin, they react, somehow they react. Every Christian in this room, when you fall into sin, which you do, it would be better if you did it less, but you do, and we make no excuses for this, but the fact is, when we sin, we respond. Now, there's a number of ways we can respond. Maybe depression, maybe despair, indifference, conviction, repentance, tears, hardness, whatever it may be, but this one thing I'll guarantee you, there is A reaction. And that reaction is always built on something. Your reaction to sin does not spring out of a vacuum. It simply doesn't. It's always built on our belief system. This is why it's so crucial that we develop this theology of sin in the Christian. We need our minds removed. And listen, folks, listen, it doesn't do us any good just to say, well, since Christians aren't supposed to sin anyway, we're not going to say anything to them about when they do sin, because after all, they should never sin. Folks, that approach is foolish, because the Bible teaches that we at times will stumble, and you Christians do stumble. Now, I'm not advocating it. I'm not encouraging it. The Apostle John in 1 John 2.1 says that he wrote to Christians to encourage them not to sin. But, if any do sin, they have an advocate with Christ. He didn't say, well, we don't offer any help to sinning Christians because they're not supposed to sin. That's not what he does. He seeks to help them even when they do sin. He's definitely not encouraging them to sin, but He wants them to believe right if they do. And the way to help you Christians prepare for this warfare in life where sin is not totally eradicated is to encourage this renewal of mind so that you react and respond to sin in a way that is befitting of a Christian. Now, I have four points. That was just introduction. And here we go. Here's the first one. Having no sin is better than responding well to sin. You guys catch that? I think you can clearly see that my main objective this morning is to consider, once again, when Christians sin, and to pay particular attention to how Christians responds or reacts to that sin of his. But it really is necessary to stress to you right from the start that no sin is better than responding well to sin. And you get my meaning. Not sinning is always preferable to responding well to sin. The Bible always describes sin as dishonoring to God. Period. Even if you respond in a way that's befitting of a Christian to your sin, your sin still is dishonoring to God. Sin is doing what does not aim at God's glory. And how you respond to it never changes that. It dishonors the Father, it dishonors the Son, and it grieves the Spirit. Nowhere in our Bibles is sin ever excused for any reason. We're never told that it's acceptable, never told it's admissible or tolerable. Folks, sin is sin, and sin is evil, and sin is rebellion against God. It's not like responding well to sin makes sin any less evil for our good response to it. Follow? So yes, we're supposed to respond right. Because the Christian does stumble. Seven times maybe. But folks, it's never less evil for repenting quickly or responding well or changing direction immediately. You haven't made it any better. All you've done is responded well and you haven't compounded your sin. But that is still Totally wrong in itself. So, although we're talking about how Christians should respond when they do sin, we do well to remember that having no sin is always far, far, far better than falling into it and forcing me to have to react and respond to it. Okay, second thing. That's the first one. No sin. Better than responding well to sin. The second thing. The only right response to sin is to put away sin. That might seem fairly obvious, but don't miss the significance of that statement just because of the simplicity of that statement. When Christians sin, they need to stop, period. When the pig falls into the mud and filth and scum, it responds like the pig it is. It rolls in it. It wallows. But the only right response when a lamb falls into the muck is to get out. Now, you know, we can look at that and you say, well, brother, you know, this isn't very deep. You know, sometimes things don't have to be very deep to be just astronomically meaningful and important to the Christian life. Because, you know, some of the simplest things we know are some of the least things we practice. Here it is. Throughout the New Testament. It's incredible. I started looking through the New Testament at this. Just, okay, when the Christian gets involved in sin, and I begin to go through, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, what does Jesus have to say? You go through the book of Acts. You go through the epistles. What in the world do they say to sinning Christians? And you know, what they don't do, you never get, well, there's, here's this 10-step instruction to getting out of sin. Here's 20 easy steps to being free from sin. The Bible writers are so... Simple and straightforward. You know, they just say things like this. Lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares you. That's it. Lay it aside. You, if it's sexual immorality, now, you know what? It's very likely there are some folks in this room right now, you're guilty of sexual immorality. Whether it's bodily or whether it's In a thinking capacity. Some of you are involved in it. And some Christians in this room struggle with it. And some of you lost right now are fornicators and adulterers and homosexuals. It's a reality, it's true. Impurity. Your mind's not pure, it thinks about filth. Your life isn't pure. Passion. You're just driven by your passions. Everything in life just controls you. You're like a dog to the vomit. You see it and you've got to run to it and sniff on it and lick on it. I mean, that's not being more graphic than a biblical description of what sinners are like. There's evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Some of us Christians in here, we struggle with some of these things. What does the Apostle Paul say to the Colossian Christians? Does he say, oh, Colossians, this is a complicated process. It's going to take a real long time. You all need years of counseling and psychiatric evaluation. You must put them all away let must put them all away. But you see, when the Word of God comes in power, the Spirit of God makes this like dynamite in your... You don't need to say much. You know, Jesus Christ, all He had to say to the demons is, G-O. Go! Go! Whoa, that was Lord, that wasn't a very complicated exorcism there. They just went. You know why? Because when an apostle of God speaks the Word of God under the inspiration of God, and the Son of God, who is God's sin killer, makes himself real, living in the life of the children of God, that person can overcome that sin. And it doesn't have to be a real complicated deal. You can tell the Christian, you know what? You need to put those things away. And that is the response to sin. When it comes into your life, you need to put it away. You struggle with malice? Malice is just meanness. It's just being wickedly mean. You're cruel to people. Do you struggle with deceit? You're a liar. You don't tell the truth. You exaggerate. Hypocrisy. You're always trying to look better than you really are. Envy. Jealousy. You slander people. You like to stick people in the back. You know what Peter says about this? Put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. You fall into bitterness. You're bitter against somebody. You've slandered a brother. You know what Paul says? Ephesians. To those Christians there, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. James doesn't say that if filthiness or wickedness is coming out of you, that there's some perplexing, sophisticated technique you need to study for hours and hours. He simply says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Paul tells the Romans, Romans 13, 12, Cast off the works of darkness. Even have the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. He says, cast away from you all the transgressions. Isn't that amazing? You see, brethren, when it, that sudden temptation grips you, when you're just walking through life and all of a sudden, bang! Bang! You fall under this temptation. Satan storms in with his fiery doubts and you find yourself tripping and slipping and the thoughts are not going right and sin comes upon you and some wicked thing comes out of your mouth. Whatever it may be. Away with all your excuses. God says put it away. Cast it away. Lay it aside. If you're arguing with your wife, Put it aside. With your husband, lay it away. But you see what we like? Well, you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. Maybe I don't know them as well as you do, but God knows them. And God says, put it away. (coughs) Just be done with it. Away. Excuses are so often the problem." God says, be honorable in your dealings with people. If you've got unpaid bills, pay them. If you've got unpaid taxes, pay them. If you're out there driving in your car, obey the authorities. Do the speed limit. I mean, this is practical. God looks at you and says, lay it aside. Be done with it. James 4:17 Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin. Christian, if you know the right thing to do, God doesn't say you can take a month to think about this thing. He doesn't say it's okay to procrastinate. He says put it away. Lay it aside. And you know what happens? We know what's right. We do. But our response to the sin is, but. God isn't looking for that response, folks. But! You don't know my situation. But I have a good reason. You have to understand there's no other way out for me to get out of this thing. But this, but that, anything else. Folks, all this is doing is making excuses for your sin. God says, get out of it, lay it aside, be done with it. Stop making your excuses. Because you know what your excuses are? They're a demonstration of your pride, of your haughtiness, and of your arrogance. You're looking at God and saying, no, I am not going to lay it aside. I know you've told me to do this, but if you accept your child's obedience 20 minutes after you tell them to do something right now. What are you going to do if you, you're not being a good parent, if you let them get away with that? And God wouldn't be a God if He continues to let you get away with that. And He's not going to, folks. Don't believe you can just get into this lifestyle where you throw this off. It really is pride. I want to bring up a, t- a text that we dealt with last week. Remember I read to you from 1 Corinthians 4? And if you don't remember, let me remind you. In fact, I really want you all to turn there because this is a very important one. Turn to 1 Corinthians 4. So I want to read this text. I want you to read it and see it with your own eyes. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 3 and 4. You'll remember, those of you that were here last week, possibly that I read this. This text, I believe, is so essential for us as Christians and how we view sin properly from God's perspective. Developing a theology of ourselves as a Christian and sin. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court because that's what they were doing they were ju- they were finding fault with Paul and he says it's really a very small thing that you're doing this to me because your estimation of me really is is it just doesn't have a whole lot of impact because i know it doesn't really matter in fact he says i do not even judge myself And he's saying in the end of it, you're not the judge, I'm not the judge. But he says this. He's got a little disclaimer here. And he says in verse 4, I am not aware of anything against myself. But I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. But, notice that statement. I am not aware of anything anything against myself again I want to emphasize to you guys the Apostle Paul right here in this text is a mature strong spiritually healthy Christian he doesn't look at his own life and say oh yes I'm the Roman 7 man. I know about all sorts of sin in my life right now that I just can't seem to get right. I have a desire to do it, but just no ability to do it. I just keep on doing the evil I don't want to do. That's not what he's saying here. That's not a Christian. This is. Here in 1 Corinthians 4.4, you have the real Christian man. This is the man you want to imitate. Whenever Paul was assaulted by sin, whenever he tripped or stumbled, This man put away sin. It was gone. He kept his life clear. Clear enough to be able to say at a given moment in time, I am not aware with my discernment that God has given me as much as I know about sin and the Christian life. I am not aware of anything against myself. Now that doesn't mean that he didn't know about any sin he had ever committed. That's not what he's saying. It means that he was so constant and so diligent to put away every known sin in his life at all times whenever it reared its ugly head. So that he was able to look at himself and not find anything that he knowingly believed to be sin. He never wanted to allow the least shadow to exist between himself and his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how does a man get to this place? Certainly not by making excuses. Christian, acknowledge your sin. As 1 Corinthians 16.13 says, act like men. Be strong. That's what it says. Men don't go around living... Christian men I'm talking about. The manly man. The woman who is a woman of integrity. The Christian woman. The strong and mature Christian. They don't go around living their lives making excuses. Excuses are for the carnal, for cowards, for quitters. The godly man must regularly, pointedly lay aside sin. That at any given time he can really say about himself, Christian? Can you... I mean is this just so phenomenally far off out there on the horizon that you just can't relate to this? This is the Christian life, folks. This is what it means to be dead to sin. This is what it means that power of sin is broken. Sin will have no dominion in your life. You are free from it. This is the practical outworking of that in a real man's life, a man who is still a sinner, still striving for perfection. And yet, even though not fully perfected, he could look at his life and say, I know of no known sin in my life. This is how you guys need to view the doctrine of sin and the Christian. I'm afraid, folks. That we fall far short of this oftentimes. This is true freedom from sin. If you know something against yourself, Paul and Peter and James and Ezekiel all rise up in harmony and they say, put it aside. Be done with it. Be done. It's not complicated. It's only your excuses that are complicated. It's only your explanations that are sophisticated. This is not. Put it aside. Third, the only right response to sin is not always the easy response to sin. Folks, we're told to act like men and to be strong. Because I'll tell you this, Christianity, it's not for the gutless. The world may stand out there and they may look at us and they may think, you know what? Christians in my estimation are wimps. They're people that go around. They need a crutch. Oh, I'll guarantee you, we need to rest on something. On Christ the solid rock will stand. But I'll guarantee you this, Christ makes Christians in some of the manliest men and the womanliest women if that's a word. But they, God makes men and women into the most choice men and women alive on this earth. Some of the most honorable. As Hebrews says, some of the most worthy. Some of the most brave. Some of the most extraordinary human beings The world may look at us and they may see us as the off of the world, but brethren, we know what God's able to make people into. By the grace of Christ, turns men and women into some of these confident, resolute, daring individuals. Some of the most that ever lived on the face of this earth. Brethren, it takes every bit of all this, the grace of Christ, to fight sin. I want to ask you guys a question. Do you love Christ? Do you love Christ? We say we do. We say that. But the way you know you do is if you do what? Keep His commandments. That's what He said. That is what He said. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you recognize this as a commandment of the Lord? If your hand, Matthew 18, 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Isn't that amazing? Here's sin again. Cut it off, throw it away. Does that sound similar? Lay it off. Cast it away. Put it away. That's really what these other men have been telling us. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. Here's our Master commanding the very same thing. Cut it off. Be rid of it. Is this always easy? Well, let me ask you something. If if somebody just brought a knife in from the kitchen, you know, like a bread knife or something, and you had to cut your hand... you remember? You remember, what was it, a year or two ago, that guy that was mountain climbing he 's going through a canyon somewhere out west. you remember the guy, and he put his hand on a great big rock and it shifted and it pinched his hand, and the guy was literally trapped there and what he if you guys heard the story somewhere I heard it his hand was decaying, and it was actually beginning to rot and it was not nice things were happening. He just could not pull his hand out of there he wasn 't Physically, strong enough, it was pinched so tight. Well, he had one of those all-purpose tools, you know, that has the 101 you know deals. And so he comes out and he starts cutting through skin and flesh and muscle and tendons. And he got down to where he just had the two bones left, and he had to take the pliers and try to twist and pop both those bones. Now I want to ask you something. Is that easy? Is that nice? Is that painless? It isn't easy. But that's what Paul says in Acts 24.16. Now listen to this. Acts 24.16, he says this. I always take pains. Paul, what are you taking pains to do? Well, he's going to tell us. I take pains. Taking pains means there is a measure of difficulty. There is an exercise here. There is striving. He takes pains. There is some suffering involved in this thing. What is it, Paul? It's this. To have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, do you know what a clear conscience is? A clear conscience is exactly what we saw back in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. When you can look... Your life at any given time, and say, I know nothing against myself. That is a clear conscience. I know nothing against myself when it comes to my relationship with God, and I know nothing against myself when it comes with my relationship with my fellow man. Is that not what a clear conscience is? And he said he purchased it at great pain. So, Christian, it's not easy, but it's obtainable. It's obtainable. It might have cost. And folks, listen to this. This is no game. This is deadly serious. And I'll tell you exactly why. Because this same apostle in 1 Timothy says, there are certain individuals who have not sought to kept a clean conscience. And it's, to some, it's proven to be shipwreck. Do you know the fastest way to shipwreck of the faith? Live with a defiled conscience. Live knowing there are things wrong in your life. Don't you be so proud to think you won't slip away into apostasy. Don't don't ever think you're going to be the exception. Because if you do, you're the first one to be going off that edge. Folks, this is not just... The mature Christian I'm showing you, this is not just some, you know, this is the elite class of Christianity to be able to live like this. What we have been talking about, being dead to sin, this is what it, this is what it leads to. It leads to living a life where I can really, realistically, I can live my life I can look in the mirror. I can examine myself. And I can come away and say, I am not aware of any existing sin in my life right now. And when it comes up, I attack it quickly so that I can constantly be getting back to that point where I don't know of anything. That is what it is to live with a clear conscience. And that is what it says, if you will not strive to maintain, leads into apostasy and making shipwreck of the faith. There are many people who have walked the Christian life seemingly well for a season of time. And they did not keep their conscience clear. And they made shipwreck. And it's happened to people just like you who thought it could not happen to themselves. I'm telling you, you can never fight against God's Word and think you're going to be the one exception. You will not be. You will not be. This is what Christ has purchased for us. The ability really to walk around and be able to be so free of sin. Three times, Romans 6 says, Christians are free from sin. And for you to be able to walk around and say, glory, I can live my life where I don't know anything against myself. I can, with all discernment, examine my life. And when sin comes up, I have the ability through Jesus Christ to put that thing to death. Lay it aside that fast. And to live my life with this clear conscience. Oh, folks, this is the Christian's truest position. This is his truest identity. Don't ever get to the place where you just resign yourself to this mindset. Well, this is just how I am. And I guess I'm just going to have to go on. And there's going to be no deliverance until I die. Who has sold us this bill of goods in the Reformed community that we are these wretched men who can never do any good that we want to do. Of course we can do good. Jesus Christ laid down His life to make a people zealous of good. This mindset has to... You know what? With the rest of your sin, just cast that right away too. With all the rest of it. We're commanded to do good. We can do good. Here is when what we believe and what we think has such a major practical impact on us. Here's where we need to renew the minds. Brethren, is that not liberating to you to hear? You can. You have the ability. Christ laid down His life so that you can walk through and we can be a church where we can regularly look at ourselves and say, you know, I just really can't think of any sin that's. That, that's I mean, I'm, I, I, my conscience is clear. That's, that's biblical Christianity. If you guys think I'm making all this up, what do you do with these texts? What do you do with them? This is Bible, man. This is God's Word. This is reality. We need to have this emblazoned upon our minds. When I fall into sin, it doesn't all of a sudden mean I'm a slave to that sin. I'm not that pig who's a slave to the mire. Fourth, no condemnation for sin does not equate to no consequence for sin. Oh, our biblical theology of the Christian in sin needs to rest on this one. We need to learn this, folks. What will motivate you to keep a clear conscience if this one won't? Consequence. Don't remain callous to this. I know what can happen. You, you can sin. And then you look and you think, I don't feel any different. I don't really see that there's a consequence. Maybe you look at your experience and you say, oh, I'm not really convinced that there always is a consequence for my sin. After all, I'm a Christian. There's no condemnation to me. I'm a justified person. I'm going to heaven. Christians can sin and still go to heaven. Folks, let this truth grip you with an iron grip. As you develop your theology of sin in the Christian, make sure Jeremiah 5.25 is always part of this theology. He says this, your sins have kept good from you. Just let that one seep in. Your sins have kept good from you. There is a direct correlation between your sin and the good in your life. Now maybe you ask this question, what good's being kept back from me? I haven't really felt it. good folks closeness to god suffers our closeness to god is connected with how much sin we hold on to listen to how jesus stresses this very point john 14:21 Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Don't you ever forget, there is a direct correlation between keeping Christ's commandments and receiving expressions of love from the Father. There is a direct relationship between the smile you perceive from Christ Himself and obeying His commandments. There is distinctly a connection between submission to Christ and your ability to feel the reality of Christ's presence. That comes out of that text. There really is. Now listen. I'll tell you this. Every sin keeps back some of this good from you. Every sin is disobedience to Christ's commandments. Every sin is despising of the Savior's royal law. Now, if Christian and this church as a whole, if you pray for revival, do you know what you're praying for? Do you really know what revival is? It is when God comes down. Revival is a community saturated with God, where there is a distinct awareness of God. It is a manifestation of Christ Himself. And that's exactly what John 14.21 describes. And what is the one thing that can hinder it? Well, what's the thing that He says brings it? Keeping his commandments brings it, so what's the thing that hinders it? Not keeping his commandments. When you sin, you are not keeping those commandments. That is what hinders it. Beloved, your sin is lawlessness. Just because you're a Christian doesn't change the definition of your sin, it is still lawlessness. It is still that thing that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of Christ. The Christian sin may not bring condemnation. That's true. It won't bring condemnation. But it chokes out the greatest good, the greatest, most fulfilling blessings available to us this side of glory. It does. I'm not saying there won't be a heaven for you. I'm saying you rob yourselves of the greatest experiences of the manifest presence of Jesus Christ this side of glory by your sin. And every single sin you allow in your life, every day you walk with a defiled conscience, you are grieving the Spirit of God. And I'll tell you this, sin grieves God. And you want to know what grief is? You just go into your little lexicon and look up the word for grieving the Holy Spirit. You know what it means? It means it causes sorrow. It means it hurts Him. Our God is sensitive to our sin. You may think your sin is small, But you haven't been guilty of one yet that God thought was small, because you haven't committed one yet that He wasn't able to be afflicted by to some degree with a sense of grief. You simply can't get away from that fact in the scriptures. Sin grieves God. The word grieve is connected with the idea of sorrow, sadness, to throw into sorrow, to offend. Make sure you add that to your Christian theology. Of sin. And the last thing. You may be a child. You may be weak. You may be stupid. You guys met any stupid people? There are. I was. I was This may fit the description of you. Weak. Young. Stupid. Sick. Maybe you're old. Maybe you're not the most gifted Christian. You may not be a church officer. You may not have been a Christian long. You may be recently fallen into some pathetic wickedness. You know what? You may not be a Christian at all. But it's yet possible for you to live free from sin's Dominion. It is possible for you to live in a constant state of not being aware of any sin against yourself. You can't have a clear conscience before God. How is that? How can that be? Listen, my friend. Have you never heard there's a Savior in heaven? I'll tell you something. His name Jesus didn't come by accident. It wasn't because Joseph and Mary just thought it was a good thing to name him that that day. It wasn't because Uncle Jesus had that name and they decided they wanted to pass that on, along to nephew. Folks, God Almighty named His Son Jesus because He would save His people from their sins. And the fullness of that is not just that you're forgiven. It's that you can actually live a life in this lifetime, this side of death, where you can live like the Apostle Paul lived with a clear conscience and constantly not able to find anything against yourself. Praise the Lord. That is the reality. It comes from Him. He saves His people from their sin. Jesus is in the habit of taking idiots and jerks and half-wits and making them strong in His strength of His might to overcome sin. But you, get, you need to remember that. It's always in the strength Of His might. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He strengthens. Jesus never asks you for the strength. Never. He gives it. If sin's got you in its bonds, whether you're Christian, whether you're not a Christian. Scripture says when it comes to sin and running this race, look to Jesus. Why? Because that's where the strength is. It's nowhere but there. Oh, the Apostle Paul, could he look at his life and say, I know of nothing against myself? He could. But you know what else he could say? It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We look to Jesus. You know why? Because He's the only real sin killer in this universe. And if it's going to be killed in you, He's going to be the one that kills it. A woman by the name, and here I'm done, a woman by the name of Annie Hawks wrote this. These are her words. One day, as a young wife and mother of 37 years of age, I was busy with my regular household tax. Suddenly, I became so filled with the sense of nearness to the Master that wondering how one could live without Him, either in joy or pain, these words fell upon me. I need Thee every hour were ushered into my mind. The thought at once taking full possession of me, Mrs. Hawkes, then sat and penned these words, I need Thee every hour. Stay Thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when Thou art nigh. You see, beloved, old Annie Franks, or Annie Hawks rather, had a correct theology of Christian and sin. And that is the only correct theology that leads us to cry, Jesus, I need Thee every hour. Uh, Brethren, I wish I could preach this better to you. I wish with more power. I hope, I hope, that your thinking in this assembly is changing when it comes to sin. I hope you are viewing sin in a different light these days than you have in the past. I hope Bible truth is so clearly and powerfully penetrating that you are looking at sin now with a realization that you can, as a Christian, go forth conquering and to conquer. And that you don't have to live as a slave to this thing and resign yourself to perpetual defeat. I hope so. May God help us to do so. Father, please help us. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the sake of Your Son, who hung there between heaven and earth, and gave His life's blood for His sake. Father, please do so. You're dismissed.